take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online at couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences working with thousands of couples for over 15 years. Everyone says you need to work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. In today's episode, we will be talking about conflict in relationships. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Or specifically, how do you know if your arguing in your relationship is productive or destructive? Right. There's a lot of people that fight, but not very well. I think we've said it multiple times in other episodes that couples fight. Healthy couples. Healthy couples and unhealthy couples fight. Right. The same way. In the same way. Yes. The studies out there show that there is no difference in the way that healthy couples and unhealthy couples fight. They say mean things. They slam doors. They yell at each other. So all of that is is a normal part of arguing in a relationship. The only difference is that healthy couples make repair attempts. And those that's something that we'll, we'll talk more about. Right. So the oldest part of our brain, which is the reptilian brain or the hind brain, is very reactive. If you ever see a lizard, it just sits there and it's only concerns our food and safety. So if it feels unsafe, it jumps to get safe or it jumps to eat. And so our hindbrain is jumpy. It's very reactive and that's where we fight from, which is why people cannot argue from a lovely rational place. It also involves the limbic system, which is our emotional brain. And our limbic system is, you know, specifically the the emotional brain Mm -hmm. is designed for survival, Mm -hmm. right? Fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And that part of the brain is activated when we get into a fight with our partner. And all of that part of the brain is below the threshold of thinking. And so we're automatic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we've always talked about the concept of an iceberg, and I don't think we can really describe it so much here, but our emotions are like that, where there's a little bit above water that you're seeing, and then the more primary emotions are deeper and unseen. And when people fight, they fight from those secondary emotions, anger, anxiety, frustration, Mm -hmm. right? That's all secondary, which means that there is a primary emotion that is occurring first. Right. And, And usually those primary emotions are more vulnerable, right? Feelings of insecurity, maybe, um, sadness, fear, fear, hurt, hurt, you know, um, the, the limbic part of the brain is not so good at communication. No, because it's not rational. Right. And it is going to go with the emotions. Emotions are happening all the time. One thing we ask our couples is to come up with two words that describe how they feel in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're able to come up with two words, you know, two emotions that they're feeling 
at the same time. And, and that is a really good example of how our, our limbic system works, the emotional brain, is that it is always changing, yeah, very they'll say, fluid. I, it's really weird. I feel calm, but frustrated. Right. <laughs> and, and it is conflictual like that. Well, all of our arguments are, are in the limbic system mm-hmm. or from the emotional brain. And so you could have a feeling one moment and then flip on a dime and feel another emotion the, the next moment. Right. And when you're in that place, you're much more concerned about regaining your own safety and you're not concerned about anyone you might hurt in that process. And so when your heart rate goes over 100 beats per minute, you're fully in the limbic system. And when you're there, you know, we do this cool exercise that helps people see that, but you'll only hear portions of what the other person is saying. You'll be stuck on that and, it, and you just can't get off of it. It's like you sink your teeth into something. It's usually out of context and communication completely breaks down. That's actually the, the way that the brain works uh, when you are in that fight or flight you know, kind of mode is that our hippocampus, which is our memory producing part of the brain, packages what we are hearing, what we are seeing. It packages it in a different way when our heart rate is above 100 beats per minute. If we are listening to some type of story or logical you know, concept, our hippocampus is packaging uh, all of that information into short-term memory you know, in a beginning, middle, end type of way, right? But when our heart rate goes above 100 beats per minute, our, our hippocampus is packaging all of that information in a different order. It's stamping it as an emotional memory. And so all of what you're experiencing is recategorized with the most emotionally charging items first and then in descending order. Right. So you can't resolve conflict while you're heated. And couples who don't fight at all don't access those more primary emotions and they and therefore they have a, a less of a connection to each other. Right. I mean, couples who don't fight at all are not any more healthy than couples who fight all the time. Right. So it's interesting because dealing with conflict and letting yourself go to that place, and if you're doing it in a healthy way afterwards and you're resolving it, it brings you much closer as a couple. If you're just fighting and you don't resolve it, it destroys and wears away the relationship and is very toxic. And if you're not fighting at all, how do you know your partner? So I think we should talk about what is fighting in a healthy way, right? If all couples fight from the emotional brain and they say mean things and they're coming from a place of self-survival, then what does healthy fighting look like, right? I would say that women, their primary need that they have that starts most of the fighting for a woman is safety. Safety on a physical level and safety on an emotional level, especially with their partner, that their partner may have done something that they didn't even know they were doing that made her feel unsafe. Not saying where he is or not giving her attention. It could be lots of things, but I think that's the primary thing that, you know, almost from an automatic subconscious place that women come from. And men, I think it's more... It's rejection. Yeah. Acceptance and approval. That's their need. And whenever they feel that rejection, then that that fires them up like automatically. So it's a little different. Right. And the topics, the two top two topics that couples fight around and about is 
money and sex. Right. I think the third one's in-laws or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I think it, for some people it is. I don't know. But mo- yeah, money and sex are huge because those are safety and connection. Right. So that makes sense that that would be, you know, we kind of talked about the analogy of a rock tumbler, right? That, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a great analogy. So like in the beginning of our relationship, it's more of the big rocks, you know. The, jagged edges, yep. clunky, and then, yeah. And then w- when you have a rock tumbler, you have to put that kind of stuff in to soften it, the rock mm-hmm. that you're trying to polish. And then you take all that out and then you put in like a sand or a finer grit. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've been mm-hmm. fighting together for... Hmm, 22 going on 22 years now yeah <laughs> yeah and and so it's it's much more of that finer tuning of stuff it doesn't look less dramatic right but it is at a deeper level the connection and the resolution mm. of it is so much more complete you, you could feel the healing process of it at this at this level well, I mean, you think about anything a couple would do over time, like if they were learning to dance, right. you know, in the beginning, they would be very awkward and they would step on each other's toes, right? They would get very frustrated, you know, and it's kind of like a dance. Right. Conflict mm-hmm. is sure. in a way. And if couples don't work on it and they don't work together, then they can't get to that point where they have more of this fluid motion between each other. Right. I like that. I like that analogy. That's cool. Yeah. And so conflict is, you know, is necessary in a relationship and working on Mm -hmm. conflict is necessary as well. Yeah. Like in the beginning of our relationship, I think we fought more about like who's doing what task, who's doing dishes, who's doing the laundry, who's doing what with the kids, you know, more logistical kind of things. And now that you know, you get into the, we've tried so many different ways, you know, like who's managing money, who's doing this. And we kind of have fallen into a comfortable pattern with all of that stuff. So now our, our conflicts are more, much more emotional in nature than just those big things that you're trying to figure out in the beginning, like those dance steps you were talking about. You know, another, another important thing is that the way men and women are socialized is women are allowed and have more opportunity to express emotion and men are socialized to only express a few emotions. Men are taught to funnel all of the emotions into a select few. Which are secondary. Which are secondary emotions. Anger, vengeance, retaliation, you know, just these emotions that, if you think about all of the movies in Hollywood, and, you know, those that have a a lead male character... Those are the emotions that are reinforced in society. Leadership and pride and anger and, and, you know, all of that is kind of glorified in those movies. But when you have a a male character that shows vulnerable emotions like sadness or insecurity, that character is usually uh, a comedic character right. and made fun of. Mm-hmm. And I would think that, you know, because children are raised more primarily, at least historically, it's getting better by women, female teachers and stay-at-home moms. And there's just much more access to a feminine caregiver that they probably didn't know how to access a role model for emotions from their fathers so much. And so movies probably became the thing that taught them what is acceptable or not acceptable. You know, if you're playing a sport, you know, you got to 
get on that line of scrimmage and whatever you're feeling, just bulldoze the kid in front of you. But you're certainly not allowed to have fear or... No, because they were taught that shows weakness. Right. And so, unfortunately, when you can't express those other emotions, it all sort of turns into the lowest frequency emotion that we have, which is shame. And I think shame is probably the most destructive emotion that we have. And we are filled with it from our childhoods. And we can heal it through our relationships. If couples work on that. Right. That's it's the potential. Super vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a really hard one because shame, the nature of shame says keep it a secret. And so if you are taught to suppress all your emotions, all you're going to feel is shame. I'm ashamed that I have fear. I'm ashamed that I feel hurt or sad. So I, I'm going to turn that all into anger. It reminds me of that scene in um, Dumb and Dumber where the girl picks up a little snowball and jokingly tosses it at her boyfriend and then he comes back and he's like shoving her face in the snow and pelting her and it kind of feels like that like if uh it, it, it's my experience as a, as a woman you know but you know there, there comes a time you're like 13 or 14 and you're at the pool party and everyone's joking around all of a sudden these guys are dunking you and holding you underwater and they're so much stronger than they were the, the year before and i don't think they know that they're using so much force yeah I've, I've never been to a pool party like that That's, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it, it it was a equal teasing thing <clears throat> at 10 or 11 then you get a little older and it just a different playing field and emotionally it feels like that on a like maybe a, a softer level like with you i can come at you with something that's like a level two but you'll come back at, at a seven your well what you're talking about is competition oh Right. Mm -hmm. And how competition fits into a relationship. And if a couple, you know, doesn't work on conflict between each other, then there is more separation. There's more distance. And I think there's more potential for competition between each other. And so now it's this, you know, I need to one up you. Right. Yeah. And I'm not going to show you my cards. I'm going to play it close to the vest. Right. Is it close to the vest or close to the chest? Either one, I think. Okay. So, you know, and now what, what happens is that you have conflict intermingled with competition and you don't have a partnership. No. Yeah, competing with your partner is always going to lead to a lose-lose situation. There's no such thing as a win-lose. Right. And then there would be no uh, motivation to make repair attempts right. after a conflict. Right. right. You would still only want your partner to take responsibility because you think you're right. Right. And so now what that causes is an arms race mm -hmm. where each person has to increase their defenses, uh, protect themselves even more. And then the conflict is added to the next one. So here's a truth that we know after working with thousands of couples mm -hmm. since 2002. Every single conflict is a 50-50. Meaning that each person contributes equally Correct. to the condition of the relationship. Yep. And specifically the conflict. Yep. We have never seen a situation <coughs> where one person is completely innocent and the other person is completely guilty. Yeah, it's you can't play tennis if someone's not going to hit the ball back. Right. And so someone might look in and say, like, I didn't do anything, but you also don't stand up for yourself. You allow those things to take place and you're 
uh, teaching them that you're avoiding conflict or you're putting their needs in a place and suppressing your own. And so that is part of the dance. Right. And the only thing you have control over is your own contribution. Right. Is your own actions. And so if you are in the middle of a conflict with your partner, you have a choice on whether you want to escalate it. If you want to start using contempt in your conflict, if you want to start demeaning your partner, you know, all of that is a choice that you have power and control over making. I think the one absolute that we really teach people in terms of fighting is to never use the word divorce. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a number one rule that all couples should follow. Right. Unless you are absolutely done. If but if you're absolutely done, it won't be in the middle of an argument. Right. Right. And you are already consulting attorneys or making plans or whatever and you're having a rational conversation about it. But throwing that word around because that it it's br- really below the belt. It's a way of manipulation. Mm-hmm. It's a way of, you know, having power and control over your partner. Right. People do. Even healthy couples, unfortunately, do get angry, call names, throw things, you know, stuff like that. Because it's that hindbrain. But really toxic relationships, the name calling is really destructive as well. Yeah, I, I would have to say that, you know, if we go back to that rock tumbler kind of analogy... And using our, our own relationship as an example, you know, in the beginning, our, our fights, we did call each other names. You know, there was mean things that were said. But I think over time, you know, we've learned that to keep those things out of an argument, to keep those things, you know, because it's destructive. I think I feel like those things are not truths and I don't take them personally. So even if something comes out and you say something that is really mean. I know you're just angry and I know you don't mean it and I know you care about me. And so... Oh, I see what you're saying. So it's the reaction that has changed. Yeah, for me. Well, I think for both of us, Yeah. right? We've learned to not react immediately to what each other is saying, especially in the heat of the moment. And and especially afterwards. You know, if, if one of us was out of line and we're trying to apologize for it, it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, you were angry, whatever. I don't like take that personally. I don't feel like, oh my God, you said you this thing to me. Oh, me an apology. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I know those things are, are really out of a place of pain and they're not, they're not a truth. Some people think the truth comes out when you're fighting, but I don't believe that at all. We've been pretty mean to each other at certain points and it, that is not how I really feel about you. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, how many times we've come across couples where they're trying to tell us their side of the argument and... You know, they're looking for us to validate their feeling that, you know, don't you think uh, he or she owes me an apology? And, you know, what should I do if they don't apologize? You know, it becomes an extension of the fight. It increases the competition. And it also is their part of escalating the fight. Yeah. So you can always choose to give, but you can never choose to receive if someone else isn't giving to you, right? And so that's where your act of power is, is in stepping forward and trying to repair the conflict. It is not trying to get the other person (laughs) to do it. You don't have any power over that. And, you know, it's 
very toxic physiologically to be angry. It suppresses our immune system. It literally makes us sick. Increases blood pressure, right? Yep. Decreases our immune system. It has uh, negative impacts on our digestion system. Oh, yeah. So all, all around, it's, it's physiologically damaging. And then when you go through a process of forgiveness, you actually overcompensate physiologically and feel extra better. Your immune system has a boost at that point and your organs relax and everything. It doesn't just go back to normal. It goes back to even better. And so it's an interesting thing that we, we have anger and we have fight or flight for specific points in our time to keep us safe, right? Like if a lion's chasing you, you should probably run. If there's an immediate threat. Right. But, but we're not designed to stay there. No. And, you know, it's amazing when we meet with couples that are having consistent conflict. They just, they look so wary, mm-hmm. you know, and they typically have physical issues right. that they're mm-hmm. struggling with because of that long-term stress right. and that long-term tension that they're under. Another really important thing to talk about is the impact that that fighting has on kids. Yeah. And, you know, Aaron and Manya, who are our couple this Thursday, you know, he says, my dad never said a bad word about my mom. And he went through, they went through a divorce when he was 13. And I believe his mom did. His mom did. She did. And, you know, you are, your child is half of you and half of your partner. And cutting down your partner to your child is like telling them half of them is that. And it's really painful and really hurtful and does long-term damage and will do long-term damage in their relationships as well. So if you can do anything, keep your kids out of it. Yeah, regardless if you're getting divorced or not. Right. You know, talking bad about your partner or soon-to-be ex is very detrimental Mm -hmm. to your kids' emotional and personal growth. Yeah, we have this concept that we like to call the Jerry Springer effect. You know, the the reason people go on Jerry Springer and say, here's my side, and they think they're right. And then the other person comes on, here's why I'm right. And they really think they're right, and they think the audience is going to agree with them, and all they do is look like fools. Right. And that's what it looks like to everyone else when you think you are trying to get someone on your side that you think you're right, especially your kids. Right, which which also ties in another concept, and that is involving other people in your conflict, you know, and trying to get them on your side about what your partner has done to you. Yeah, and that's a really damaging thing because now this other person has this view of your partner that is out of context, that is through your lens, and then if you go back to your partner and you resolve it, that person doesn't see that. Right. And they still think your partner is a jerk. We actually have a rule when we're working with couples in the couple to couple program that if they have been talking to outside people like friends or family, that while we're working with them, we want them to stop. Right. Because the other person is superimposing their own thoughts and feelings onto the situation from their life experiences they're not objectively looking at you and trying to really help you through that. Well, they they're, they're going to support you anyway. Right. They only have half the story. Right. And they are your support person and family and friends. I mean, they're going to take your side, which is not necessarily the correct view. Right. Because we want couples to, you know, turn towards each other. And I think it's important to talk about the concept of emotional intimacy. 
Emotional intimacy is an individual thing where a person becomes close to their own emotion. So they are able to feel their emotion, but not be their emotion. And they're able to almost like objectively look at what they're experiencing and getting to know themselves at that level, you know, especially those primary emotions of hurt and fear. And only then when they can identify that within themselves, can they begin to share that with their partner and create emotional intimacy within the relationship. And so any energy, even within an individual person, going out and seeking opinions of other people is going to actually block them from feeling their own feelings and interpreting their own feelings. It prevents you from having empathy for your partner Mm -hmm. and understanding and compassion, which are all necessary in making repair attempts whenever there is conflict. When you're angry, it's because you've been exposed in some way that feels very vulnerable. But intimacy, emotional intimacy requires you to be emotionally vulnerable. You know, in that book, um, The Seven Levels of Intimacy, he talks about... That's by... Uh, Matthew Kelly. Okay. So the, the levels show like this grade of how vulnerable you can get. And to me, it's like starting out cliche is the first level and it's like winter coat, hat, glove, scarf. I mean, totally safe. You can talk to anyone like that. Just hi, how you doing? Nothing, you know, nothing. And then information, you know, and information is sort of like sweater and, and jeans. And then you go into opinion, which is where most people, their conflict begins and the breakdown starts to happen. And that's like being, you know, in a t-shirt and jeans. And then the next level is dreams. Not the kind you have when you're asleep, but the, the dreams you have for your life. And those are very vulnerable. And so that's more like a tank top and shorts. And then there's feelings. And feelings is like a bathing suit. And below that is fears, faults, and failures. And that's like being in your underwear. And if you think about how many people get to see you in your underwear, is about how many people should have those kind of conversations with you about fears, faults, and failures. And then the last one is a thing that's really difficult to um, describe, but it's legitimate needs. And that's like being completely naked. And you think about who you get to be completely naked with. And that, that person, it's, they're seeing you at your most vulnerable. And you can imagine the level of vulnerability that is necessary in order to get down to legitimate needs. And a lot of couples, I mean, when you're fighting, you don't want to. You, you want to protect yourself. Right. So, you know, there's this push and pull that goes on internally, but that's what's necessary in order for couples to grow. Mm -hmm. And fighting is a way of growing, right? If you're not, if you're not fighting, if there isn't conflict, then you can't, you can't understand your partner from a different perspective and thus the relationship can't grow. Right. So if you think about what you learn about protecting yourself physically, right, you should avoid things that hurt you. You should avoid the hot stove. You should avoid (laughs) getting hit by a car. All those things would be really bad. And when you're in pain, uh, physically, you should not touch that thing and let it heal. Emotions are the opposite. If someone is hurting you emotionally. You actually want to lean in. And you want to understand it and understand them. Well, let's say when someone's hurting you emotionally, that is a safe person to you. Not yeah, a toxic you, let's, yeah, let's clarify that. Obviously, and, and we, we spoke about red flags um, right. 
two episodes ago, and we did clarify if someone is in an abusive relationship. That is very different than what we're talking about here. Yeah. What we're talking about here is the potential for growth through conflict in a relationship. And we're not talking about a partner who's intentionally hurting you. We're talking about a partner that may have stepped on your toes, right? right? And they didn't know that they did that. You know, the one thing that is a guarantee in every relationship is that your partner is going to hurt you. Absolutely. Right? And it'll be inadvertent. They're going to hurt you more than anyone else. Absolutely. Right. And so do you, you lean away from that? If they hurt you, do you kind of now protect yourself, guard yourself, create more distance between you and them? Or do you lean into it and try to resolve it and try to understand it, right? Maybe it was inadvertent. They didn't know that they hurt you. They stepped on an old wound or something. Well, you know, it's interesting if you use your dance analogy. If you step on the on your partner's toes, you don't feel any pain at all. No, no, you don't. No. <laughs> and but, they're going, ow, and you're like, what? But if you quit <laughs> dancing after that, right. then you're never going to find that fluid motion mm-hmm. between each other. And in the little bit difference of emotion is when you step on your partner's toes, they simultaneously are stepping on your toes. That's why that's what happens. It's your icebergs that are bumping into each other. And, you know, in our weekend workshop, you know, that's where we teach how to appropriately uh, resolve conflict so you can learn how to heal from it. And just like your partner can hurt you the most, they're your greatest potential of healing as well because if they're a safe person and you can really get down to those vulnerable emotions, they can go back and apply some first aid to that in a way that most people don't really know because emotions, they don't degrade ever. Right, they're, they're never going to go. In emotional memory, right. will never degrade. You will always have that. This is why you'll see someone who you know had a major loss, like their parent died, 20 years ago, but their face looks like it happened yesterday. Right. But I mean, this is a skill that we're talking about here Mm -hmm. and one that you have to learn and two, one that you have to practice. And I think it is the most important thing that we teach people that changes their lives tremendously to understand that when you're hurting, your partner's also hurting. And how do you help your partner when they're hurting and how do they help you? Because when you're in conflict, you don't care that they're hurting. But the resolution of it, you have to care so much that you mm-hmm. almost become selfless to help them heal. Which is a very, very difficult thing to do. And vulnerable. Absolutely. And, you know, the natural tendency is to shrink back, is to protect yourself, you know, to armor up. And, you know, we know that. I mean, that that is an instinct mm-hmm. that we have. But right. what we're talking about here is learning something that can actually free you both. So couple synergy is a systematic approach that teaches people how to do this. And, you know, I love hearing from our couples like Jim and Vera. We worked with them in 2008, 2006, something like that. And they're like, we still are practicing the things you've taught us. And it's changed our lives. You know, Aaron also has talked about that. And um, it's really cool to see that we're not just helping people in the moment but we're really changing their lives by teaching them what we've learned. It it is a very honorable thing to be part of people's lives and their journeys together. And you know, when we're in the middle of the work, we don't really know the impact. And it's only now hearing from people that 
we haven't seen in 10 years that are able to say that that work really impacted them. And it's, oh, it's so cool. It is so cool to not just help people in the moment, but really change lives. So just to give you out there a benchmark to measure yourself by, if your conflict seems to repeat itself over and over again, you're, ta- you're fighting about the same things. If you are saying mean things to each other and it seems to escalate and it also seems to kind of have this more of a, an arms race where you're building up more and more defenses, you're distancing yourself from each other. You're talking to other people more than you're talking to your partner. Right. And you are avoiding each other because you're avoiding conflict. Mm-hmm. And you seem to not trust your partner, you know, with your emotional safety, then that is a destructive type of conflict. And it is one that's not going to go away. Because it's never resolved. It's that proverbial sweep it under the rug. And then you have this big mountain that you haven't tended to. Which is going to end up blowing up at some point. Yep. And that just repeats the cycle mm-hmm. of having to protect yourself more, distance yourself more, guard yourself more. And so now you, you both are sitting behind your walls and defenses and not having a relationship with each other at all. Right. I, I think the saddest thing is when people have a truth in their heart that they're just not willing to share with their partner. And again, that is if your partner is a safe person. And if they are and you just don't know how to or possibly your partner is reacting in a way that has shut you down over time, they might explode or something. So you really have to learn a different way or have have the conversation differently so you can resolve it. But I think that's that's on you if you're not speaking up. So we hope you can tune in this coming Thursday to listen to Aaron Manya's podcast. They're hysterical. <laughs> it is a they very entertaining, entertaining <laughs> uh, episode. So please tune in. There's a lot of fun uh, that happens. <laughs> um, but, you know, they do talk about conflict in their relationship and mm-hmm. kind of how they handle it. And it, it's really an amazing thing. And conflict that they had. And this is kind of a beautiful part of their story. As children, they talk about the what they learned in their families. And then they talked about the conflict they had in their first marriages, because this is a second marriage for both of them and the growth pattern along the way. And I think that's where the hope is. The hope is you don't just have to keep repeating it. You can learn and grow and create the relationship you've always dreamed of. We want to thank you for listening to Couple Synergy today. We hope we've been able to give you some good nuggets about conflict in a relationship. And we hope that by listening to this episode has not only benefited your life, but also your relationships. For all you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a review on on iTunes. We'd love that. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs, such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And, you know, we did get a suggestion from someone to talk about co-parenting after divorce. So if you're in a relationship with your ex and you're co-parenting and you feel like you're doing it well, we'd love to have you on the show. So, you know, send us an email at contact at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life, synergize your life. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded 
edited and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. Thank you.